We're spending this New Year's Day thinking together about our motto text for 2023. John's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 30. John 3, 30. Words of John the Baptist with reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. Just a reminder from this morning that the context here in this second half of John's third chapter is that John the Baptist is still baptizing, but Jesus is now on the scene. And fewer and fewer are coming to John, and more and more are going to Jesus. And this causes some of John's followers to panic. But John himself is not a panicked, because he understands that it was never really about him, and it was always ultimately about Jesus. And this isn't something that has just dawned on John the Baptist. It's a conviction that he's had all the way through his ministry. We read a few moments ago uh, the first half of uh, John chapter 1. And towards the end of our reading there in chapter 1 verse 27, John speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who comes after him, but who is preferred before him. And uh, goes on to s speak of how uh, Jesus' sandal strap he is not worthy uh, to loose. So John always understood that he was there simply to appoint to Jesus. And uh, the idea was never that everybody should be uh, coming to him and following him and looking to him but rather that through his ministry people might come to Jesus and follow Jesus and look to Jesus. So our theme from this text today is making much of Jesus. If you were here this morning, uh, then hopefully you'll remember uh, that we were thinking from this text earlier in the day about beginning as a Christian. If you've never yet begun as a Christian, then you need to begin as a Christian. And this verse can help you here. It says, he must increase, but I must decrease. In other words, your hope of salvation is not to be found in yourself. No, no. It is only to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet you can find salvation in him this very day. When you repent and turn from your sin, when you turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, all that he is, all that he's done, you can be forgiven and saved and have everlasting life. Beginning as a Christian, if you missed that message, then you can catch up with it online. But as promised this evening, we're shifting our focus from beginning as a Christian to flourishing as a Christian. Many of us here tonight, we've already begun as Christians, perhaps in recent weeks and months, maybe years or, or, or decades ago. We've begun as Christians, but what now? As we go as Christians, as we go as a church into this new year, 2023. Well, this very same text, which has so much to teach us about beginning as a Christian, also has so much to teach us about 
flourishing as a Christian. Because in a very real sense, it's as we begin, so we continue. As we continue in this vein, Christ increasing, ourselves decreasing, so we flourish. What John the Baptist has to say to us in this verse today is the key to health, growth, and development in the Christian life. We need Christ to increase and ourselves to decrease. But what does that mean in practice? We can see what it means Uh, at the start of the Christian life, not looking to ourselves for salvation, but looking away to the Lord Jesus Christ, not putting any hope, confidence, or trust in ourselves, but putting all our hope, confidence, and trust in him alone. But what about after that? What about once we've begun? What does it mean then to continue to press on in the Christian life with this mindset that he must increase but I must decrease. Well, no doubt it means many things, but let's focus, with the Lord's help, upon three tonight. Number one, Jesus at the center. Jesus at the center. He must increase, our text says. Jesus is at the center of the Christian message. It is really all about him, who he is, what he has done, and what he offers to us. He is at the center of our beginning the Christian life. We cannot begin the Christian life without him. We begin the Christian life by coming to the foot of his cross, by looking up into his face, and by crying out to him for mercy. And similarly, he is at the centre of flourishing in the Christian life. If we are to flourish in our Christian lives, then he must be at the centre. We must be looking to him. We must be revolving around him. The good news of the gospel is really that Jesus loved us enough to give his life for us to be crucified upon the cross at Calvary and take the punishment due to us for our sin of a truth he died in order that we might live and that being the good news of the gospel the proper response to the gospel is that we should love him enough to give our lives to him. When we understand that he has loved us enough to give his life for us, then we should respond by loving him enough to give our lives for him, to center them upon him, to revolve them around him, and to determine that by his grace we will live for his glory. Jesus at the center. What does it mean to put Jesus at the center? Well, it means a threefold focus. It means a zooming in upon all that he is, 
upon all that he's done and upon all that he means. Just a word on each. A focus upon all that he is. The Lord Jesus Christ. The one who has always been the Son of God. And yet who without ceasing to be the Son of God has become the Son of Man. The one who even now is seated at his Father's right hand on high in glory. The one who with the Father and the Spirit is the creator of the world who made all things out of nothing. The one who when time gives way to eternity will be the judge of all and before whom we must each of us stand. All that he is. But also all that he's done. We've been thinking in recent weeks particularly about his incarnation, about his coming into the world, about his him taking to himself a flesh and blood. That's wonderful, but it was not a, an end in itself. It was rather a means to an end. He came in order that he might live, live that life we should have lived, but have failed to live and could never hope to live. He came in order to die, that death that we deserve to die, but to die in our place and to deal with our sin and our guilt once and for all. He came in order to rise again from the dead, that it might be seen and known uh, that he had defeated a death and that he has everlasting life. He has ascended up on high. He's no longer here upon the earth. But a few weeks after his resurrection, he returned through the clouds to glory. And we focus particularly upon his death. We were doing that this morning as we gathered around the Lord's table. We took bread and we broke it, reminding ourselves of how his body was broken in order that we might be made whole. We took a cup and we drank it, reminding ourselves of his blood and how he shed it so freely that our sins may be washed away. Were it not for Christ, were it not for the cross, were it not for Calvary, we would be lost, we would be undone, we would be without hope. But because of Christ... Because of the cross, because of Calvary, we are reconciled to God. We have fellowship with the Father and with one another. And we have the hope of glory. So there's all that Jesus is. And there's all that he's done. And then there's all that he means. He was taken what we couldn't live with, our sin, our death, our hell... He who has given what we couldn't live without. His righteousness, his life, his heaven. He really who has given to us everything that we have need of. Because we remember to have everything and yet not to have Christ in reality is to have nothing. And yet to have nothing else but to have Christ is in reality to have everything. And what a wonderful thing it is 
when we are brought to appreciate something at least of what Christ is, something at least of what he's done, and that he begins to mean something to us. And as we press on in the Christian life, hopefully he means more and more to us as we appreciate little by little something more of who he is and what he's done. Jesus at the center. The focus needs to be upon him. Individually and together, we should be revolving our lives around him. So to flourish as a Christian means, first of all, Jesus at the center. Number two, self on the altar. Self on the altar. Because our text doesn't just say he must increase. It says that, but it doesn't just say that. It goes on to say, but I must decrease. I must decrease. Now John the Baptist here is not advocating a lack of self-care, that we should not look after ourselves, whether physically or spiritually or however. But he is rather advocating a self-denial. That as Christians we are to be willing to deny ourselves for the glory of Jesus Christ in our own lives and in the lives of others. As we were thinking this morning, we find ourselves when we lose ourselves in Jesus. That's true at the beginning of the Christian life. But we make a mistake if we think that that is only true at the beginning of the Christian life. Yes, it's true at the beginning, but really it's true all the way through. We find ourselves when we lose ourselves in Jesus. We find joy when we submit ourselves to him. We fulfill our potential when we surrender our wills to his. As we've sometimes said in the Christian life, The way down is the way up. If we would exalt ourselves, then God must humble us. But if we will humble ourselves, then time and again, God will lift us up. The way down is the way up. We find ourselves when we lose ourselves in Jesus. You see, by nature, each and every one of us wants to be on the throne, on the throne of our lives, ruling as reign and reigning as kings in our own little worlds. That's true before we're saved. We want to be on the throne, and this is my life, and I'm going to live it my way. But sadly, very often, it is also true After we are saved, our Christian lives, they're all about our vision and our agenda and our priorities. What I want to be, where I want to go, what I want to do. Seeking to be on the throne. We all of us have a tendency to want to be on the throne. But if we're to flourish as Christians, we need to be 
on the altar. We need to be willing to deny ourselves. Willing to be whatever Jesus wants us to be. Willing to go wherever Jesus wants us to go. Willing to do whatever Jesus wants us to do. Having surrendered our wills to his. Not pursuing our own agenda, but pursuing his plan for our lives. By nature we want to be on the throne, but by grace we need to be on the altar. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself is our great example in this. He is not calling us to something to which he himself is a stranger. But rather he is calling us to something which he has exemplified and personified completely and absolutely. For none came from a higher throne and none went to a lower altar. He came from the throne of glory, the Son of God. Equal with the Father and the Spirit as we were reminded in prayer earlier on. There was no higher throne from which he could have come. And yet he went to the lowest altar. He went to Calvary. He was nailed to a cross. He suffered, he bled and he died. For me, for you, for us, for our sakes. And for our salvation. But he who was willing to leave the throne. And to go upon the altar. Is upon the altar no longer. His Calvary work is done. It is finished he said. And now he is upon the throne. And so he is our great example you see. We are called in the Christian lives to get down off our little thrones and to put ourselves upon God's altar, to give ourselves away to the Lord Jesus Christ, to hand place our lives in his hands. And yet, as for the Lord Jesus, be on the altar. There was the throne. So for all who follow him. Beyond the altar. There is a throne. For we shall reign. With him. One day. There'll be a time. To sit on a throne. But that time is not now. The time now. Is to place ourselves. Upon. The altar. To be willing to decrease in order that Christ might increase. So we're thinking tonight about what this Jesus increasing and ourselves decreasing means in the Christian life. How it enables us to flourish as Christians. We've said number one, it means Jesus at the center. We've said number two, it means self on the altar. Now number three. It means others as the focus. Others 
as the focus. He must increase, but I must decrease. Because the reality of this is lived out in the day to day. What the scripture calls us tonight to tonight is not so much agreement as action. It's not so much that the Lord would have us go from this place tonight saying, well, yes, he must increase, but I must decrease. I agree with that. Box ticked. No, no. The Lord doesn't simply want us to agree with the principle of this text, but he wants us to pursue its practice. He wants what we hear on Sunday night to have legs put on it on Monday morning and throughout the week and throughout the year. Because the scriptures are clear that as human beings, God has made us to live in community. We see that in the very early pages of scripture where God created Adam, but he didn't leave Adam on his own. He also created Eve and he gave them instructions to be fruitful and to multiply, that there might be family, that there might be society, that human beings might live in community. We need one another. And we see it not only in the early pages of scripture in terms of creation, but just as we were made to live in community, so in the gospel we are remade to live in community. We are not converted just to live as individual lone ranger isolated Christians, but rather we see clearly on the pages of the New Testament that the pattern is that people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and then they are added to the church, the universal church, all God's people, but also the local church, becoming part of a local church family in order that as Christians we might live together in God's new community we call the church. And it's in these contexts, in the church and in the wider world, that the rubber hits the road. How are we going to know that we are living in such a way where Christ would increase and we would decrease? Well, by how we live in the church, by how we live in the world. You see, there is a very real sense in which we serve Jesus by serving others, just as he has done. You remember he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And his model is the one we are to follow. It's not about others serving us, though they do in God's goodness, but it's about us serving others. We are not to have that self-introverted focus, but rather we are to have that outward others of focus. So what does it mean to live with this he must increase but I must decrease mentality from day to day? What does it mean to live like that in the home? What does it mean to live like that in the church? What does it mean to live like that in the world? Well, a word on each. What does it mean to live like this in uh, the home? If you're married, the scriptures are clear, aren't they, that the wife is to have a focus upon her husband and the husband is to have a focus upon the wife. 
Each is to understand that the marriage is not all about them, to revolve around them, but they are to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in their marriage by having a focus upon their spouse. If you're in a family where there are siblings, I'm just giving some examples. I realize different family contexts are different and I can't possibly hope to illustrate every single one tonight, but I'm giving you one or two ideas and you can work sideways and uh, work out other applications for yourself. But if you're in a family where, where there are siblings, brothers, sisters, whatever, to live in a way where Christ would increase and you would decrease, to live for Jesus in the home, means siblings preferring one another. Understanding that family life isn't all about you and meant to revolve around you, but being willing to put others first and to hang back while others go forward. What does it mean to live this way in the church? Well, for all of us as church members... We need to be reminded that none of us have any right to church in our own image. There's a danger that as Christians we think we have a right for church to be exactly the way that we think it ought to be. But you won't find that idea anywhere in the New Testament, so it's best thrown off the back of the truck. It's not our church. It's Christ's church. It's his will that must prevail. And our responsibility is to be others-focused and to prefer others and not to be those who insist on our own way in everything. This applies perhaps even more to those of us who are called to leadership in the local church. We must remember who it is that we are serving. That first we are serving King Jesus and secondly we are serving uh, the flock of the, of the good shepherd. And though we are under shepherds in his flock, it is not our flock. It is his flock. And so it is not our agenda. It must be his agenda. Not our priorities, but his priorities. Not our will, but his will. Not our vision, but his vision. He must increase but I must decrease. And what is true in the home and in the church is similarly true in the world. Whatever that means for us in terms of where we spend our time down the days of the week. Again, just let me throw out one or two possible applications, but there are many more in our neighbourhoods. To be the kind of people who have Jesus at the centre and self on the altar will mean we have others as the focus. Are we the kind of people who are known in our communities? Are we the kind of people that others feel they can approach? Could they come to us when perhaps they couldn't go to others? At work, perhaps. I was reading a book this week, nothing to do with preparing for the messages for today, but I was reading a book and it used an illustration of how 
in the workplace. People find it very hard to congratulate other people on promotions, particularly if it's a promotion that really you wanted yourself. It's an opportunity for a Christian to be different, isn't it? Doesn't mean that it was wrong for you to want that promotion. But if somebody else got it, well, you can be others focused. You can show something of Christ in that situation. You can congratulate the person who got it. You may be the only person in the office or the factory who does that or who does it with a, with a ring of genuineness. And that can make its own impression which may bear fruit in due time. Jesus at the center, that's where it all starts. Self on the altar, that's where it goes next. But others as the focus, that's where it leads. That's very much the outworking of it. That is very much the proof of whether or not we are truly making much of Jesus, whether or not we are really putting legs on our text whether or not we are flourishing as Christians. Jesus at the center, self on the altar, others as the focus. If I, if you, could be such a Christian, Jesus-centered, self-denying, others focused, wouldn't that make a difference? Wouldn't it make a difference to the homes where we live? Wouldn't it make a difference to the church of which we're a part? Wouldn't it make a difference in this world where we live and move and have our being? If I or you could be such a Christian. And oh, if we could be such a church. A church made up of people who are quicker to deny ourselves and to prefer others than to deny others and to prefer ourselves. Wouldn't that make a difference? Wouldn't it make a difference to our own experience of church? Wouldn't it make a difference to others' experience of church? If we could be such a church. You see, the Lord has determined that his gospel should be communicated to a lost and a perishing world, both by that which they hear and also by that which they see. What people hear from us communicates the gospel, yes. And so it's important that that is right and true. But also what they see in us communicates the gospel. And it's just as important that we get that right too. Both are equally important. We can't prioritize one to the expense of the other. Very often, whether deliberately or accidentally, churches have done that. <coughs> churches adopt the mentality, well, we're about the preaching. And we're about the teaching and, and we're about the message. And we need to be about all those things. But, but we let the other slide. And we live in a way that undermines the very message that we preach and that we teach. Or we can go the other way. 
and think, well, you know, we're, we're about the doing, we're about the, the action, we're about the loving one another, we're about the caring and, and the being kind, and, and we need to be about all of that too. But we allow the preaching, the teaching, the message to, to slip and to be less than it ought to be. But we're not presented with a choice. God's word doesn't say, well, do you want to be the kind of church that's big on truth? Or do you want to be the kind of church that's big on love? There is not really any church that's big on truth that isn't also big on love. They might think there is, but there isn't. There isn't really any church that's big on love that isn't also big on truth. They might think there is, but there isn't. As soon as we divorce truth from love, it's no longer truth. As soon as we divorce love from truth, it's no longer love. We need truth and love. Jesus at the center, self on the altar, others as the focus, truth and love, each fueling the other. We're a church, aren't we, that's passionate about truth. And may that ever be the case. But may we also be a church that is passionate about love. About loving our dear Saviour. About loving one another. And about loving the lost. You remember what Jesus himself said a few pages later in John's Gospel. John chapter 13 and verse 35. By this all will know that you are my disciples if. It's the only time he makes such a statement. If what? Perhaps you know what's coming. But if you didn't know what was coming, what would you put in there? By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That is the final test. That is the ultimate reality. If we do not have love for one another, nothing else matters. Everything else is a waste of time. Love for one another. It's not the only thing. But with everything else in place, it is the thing, the test that the Lord Jesus Christ himself gives. Surely as we go into a new year, we want to flourish as Christians individually. We want to flourish as a local church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want all God's people to flourish near and far. But we take responsibility for ourselves individually. We take responsibility for ourselves together as a church. May it be our prayer this new year that we would flourish by God's grace and to his glory. That with Jesus at the center and self on the altar and others as the focus. This community, this district might know that we are indeed Christ's disciples. Because we love one another. Amen. Amen. Our closing hymn.
is what gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer, with the refrain, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The closing hymn.